Today's readings are Psalms 111 and Mark 1, 21 through 28. They can be found on pages 563 and 922 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart, in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his uprightness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in the faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, he said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me, please? Our God of grace, as we come to you, we view this time as a sacred time. We look at this space as sacred space. Um, There's nothing more magical about what's happening here than anywhere else. But we come with expectations and we come with our hearts usually more open and expectant for your work and your presence than we do in other places and other times. And as we do that, you meet us here through community, through your word and the revelation that opens up for us through your word. And you come to us through the sacraments and the Lord's Supper. And you meet us in these places. And we ask that you meet us now. Because we come um, with journeys that are very multifaceted and very diverse, and they involve pain, but they involve celebration. Um, They involve confusion, struggle, and frustration. Um, But they also involve thankfulness, gratitude, and, and, and a sense of freshness and newness to the chapter that we find ourselves in. And as we sit here, as the, the mixture of those things might be from seat to seat, we share a brokenness and a messiness and a failed attempt to live the good life. And so we're more of a mess than we care to admit to one another. And we come to this story to meet you where you say we are more loved and accepted now in Christ than we ever imagined. We're more of a mess than we care to admit, and yet we're more loved and accepted through you than we thought was possible as you move towards messy lives and broken, failed, fragmented attempts 
at living. So use that grace message to change us as we grapple with who you are and who Jesus is in this time. Join us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe we can get a little bit real uh, today, right from the start, and you can just call out an occupation. Maybe, I guess I'm asking for your own occupation. What kind of careers or occupations do we have in the house today? Amen. Amen. That's good. Brave people telling us a little bit about yourself. Did you say amen? Does that mean you're a preacher? No, just, just kidding. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, how many of you uh, had to, for your work, go through some kind of in-service or conference in the last, let's say since last summer? Okay, like some kind of training event, yeah? How about since, let's even, let's shorten it, since like December 1, you've had to do something like that? Oh, wow. Anybody get like a binder from that? Yeah? One of those binders? A binder, you know, that was included in the cost of registration or just included in like you being at your job or maybe deducted from your paycheck, I don't know, but um, a binder, right? And the pages, I can picture that binder that you got. It's, the pages are glossy, it, color printouts, there's tabs there, right? Like fancy tabs that have been done specifically for this line of work or training. And, um, and it's probably pretty thick and a, probably a really strong binder, like they didn't skimp on cost for this binder, and it was full of the latest procedural things that you need to know for your line of work, and you need to be educated in these new ideas so that you can be a success and you can be current and you can really nail it in your job. We, I feel like we, are, we love new ideas. We love new things to be taught. We're, we're obsessed with uh, the new training, the new conference. Conferences are so fun, you know? Even if you paid for it and you, you just wanted to develop yourself, so you go to this conference and they're all the same. You put in that money and, and there it is when you walk in. There's the, the name tag with the logo on it and it's such a good name tag. And then there's like, a, again, there's, there's that binder, right? There's that binder. There it is. It's included in the cost. And you take it home, and where do those all end up? Where do they end up? I, I mean, I picture you go into, you poke your head up into your attic, and there's a place where you keep those. You know, and 10 years from now, you might be cleaning up, and you'd be like, what do I do with this worthless pile of binders? Right? And the, the, the color is starting to fade, but all that really important stuff with all the tabs is still right there. And yet, it's just, it's going to do nothing. In fact, you know, maybe you've even collected a bunch of them and put them in a clasping bin and took them down to 9th and X self-storage. You know, so, and put them there, and that's where they are now, in the darkness for the next 20 years, to firmly stay out of any chance of affecting your life whatsoever. And I guess what I'm getting at is 
you know, we're addicted to teaching and ideas and the new thing and the new binder and the new continuing education credits and the new in-services and the new conferences and the new aha moment at, the, at minute seven and a half of the last TED Talk that you watched. And, and we're addicted. We just, you know, we can't get it. We always need a new one, right? Because they all kind of end up in the same trash heap of dust-collecting ideas and teachings. And today's reading has really one point loud and clear in the Gospel of Mark, and that is that Jesus is not a new idea and a new teaching. He's not in that category. You can't, that category absolutely, from the very start, cannot contain him. It only limits. It is not the real him if you put him in that category. And the text wants you to drive towards a totally other concept, and that is all surrounded, you probably caught the word in the text, authority. Authority, that's a scary word. Authority, and, the, and this is an interaction where, in the story where you're supposed to stop in your tracks and see this opportunity, not for just an exciting little burst of a new idea, bless you, but to stop in your tracks to see this opportunity for transformation. It's an, it's an opportunity. And there's an interaction here. This, the, the interactions in the text are filled. They're all around the unexpected transformative authority that is at work in Jesus and nothing else. It blows past the dusty binder teaching concept. And every, every aspect of the story points towards this. Every part of it, you, every description, but also every piece of dialogue I want to focus on three parts of the dialogue to really get under the surface of what this text is all about. And it's a little bit, we're not going to work chronologically, we're actually going to work a little bit backwards through, the, through three specific things that are said that I think kind of open up what this text is trying to do with us. First, what is this? What is this? Second, um, I know who you are. That's what the evil spirit says. And then the evil spirit says also, have you come to destroy us? So let's just look at, kind of have some fun looking through the lens of some of the things that are actually said in this narrative. First of all, what is this? What is this is spoken by um, just kind of the general people who are watching this interaction happen or watching things. It's, it's kind of the observer of Jesus and what he's all about. And you can see it in, actually in the end, it's given to us in verse 27. What is this? They say. What is this? In verse 27 and verse 22, you get the same verbiage where it says, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And then again in verse 27, the people were all amazed and they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. Sort of the, this story is bookended by this issue of just, just what, is, what is this? It's, the response of people when their eyes have been opened to the person and work of Jesus. What is this? It's, it's a, that teachable moment of cognitive dissonance. What is this? This is bigger than I expected. This is surprising. This is going to deal with things that I wasn't ready for it to deal with. This is bigger than what I had pictured. Uh, something that, you know that I might get from someone like a guy like Jesus who seems to be teaching and doing interesting things? What is this? And I would argue that if you have, um, in your grappling with who Jesus is, if you have 
cognitive dissonance, if you've hit that place, you're on the cusp of some real growth. It seems to be a part of grappling with Jesus that there's this, what is this moment? It's a moment of, hey, I don't, I don't have all the answers right now. I need maybe to do a little work and I'm going to be stretched and I'm not sure where this is going. It's dissonance. It's uncertainty. I love how in um, the book of Acts, as the church is kind of going out to new cities and people who are bringing this message of grace of Jesus are going out to new places, there's this interaction in Athens that um, with these people, um, the Athenians who go to this place called the Areopagus to talk about and present new ideas, new teachings, and hand out new binders. I mean, parchments maybe, I don't know. And in verse 21 of chapter 17 of the book of Acts, this is a parenthetical comment just to give us context on, on what the city was like. It says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. This is that human kind of impulse and pull towards the newest idea. And this is what they said to the Apostle Paul, who's bringing the good, good news. Verse 19, of just before what I just read, says, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. People had been coming with all kinds of ideas about the gods and about, but no one had come yet with Paul. And Paul, it's central to Paul's message as he would go to these places, was to just key in on this is a real person. We saw him. We have hundreds of witnesses, not only of, of him alive, but of him dying and then of being alive after he died. Resurrection. You know, more than... So he was going with this message, and to them, nothing like this had ever come. And so here they are saying, what is this? It's a common response to hearing about Jesus, is to be puzzled, to have to shift not only paradigms, but your whole life. Another fun vignette is when the Ethiopian eunuch, in that same book, but now earlier in chapter 8 of Acts, This Ethiopian had been turned away from the temple and was on his way back to North Africa when Philip, one of these other kind of messengers of the movement of Jesus, ran into him and he was in a chariot. He was a wealthy man and he owned a a scroll and it was a Hebrew Torah scroll from the book of Isaiah. And he says, when Philip suddenly shows up, he's reading from Isaiah where it talks about a key passage that points towards Jesus. And the eunuch asked Philip, it says in verse 34, tell me please, Who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? What is this, basically? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. If if you're at all in a place like this morning, later on this week, or later on this year where you're going, I don't know what to make of this in my relationship with God or with Jesus, you're on the cusp of growth. Um, and that's pretty normal for the Christian faith. If you're seriously grappling with Jesus, get ready for some dissonance where you are in wonder and amazement as you grapple with, this is way bigger than a teaching. This is way bigger than a teaching or an idea. This is an authority. And if you venture to be a, 
you know, a disciple for the first time. Same kind of deal. If you cross this line into faith and you, and you become baptized or remember a baptism that happened long, long ago, you, you can expect on that journey that you're beginning, you can expect to regularly find yourself in periods of dissonance. What is this? What is this? That means you're grappling with the real Jesus, quite frankly. The second phrase is, I know who you are. Verse 24 of Mark 1. I know who you are. The evil spirit who's possessing this man in the synagogue. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know who you are. That's a telling statement. It's interesting how in the Bible often you get these interesting vignettes, pictures of almost the stuff that usually you think of as behind the scenes, if you even do have a concept of the spirit world behind the scenes. And with Jesus, sometimes they seem to poke in to, for us to just observe. And this is one of those times where Jesus is interacting with this unclean evil spirit, depending on the translation, unclean or evil. And oftentimes we get actually some pretty good theology from evil spirits. It's true. And that's the concept, if you've read or heard of the book by C.S. Lewis, the Screwtape Letters, that's a great book with some great theology, all kind of channeled through the lens of what if there's a a demon and then a, a young apprentice demon, and what would those conversations be like about how to tempt us and how to lead us toward away from God? You know, giving us theology through the lens of evil. What, what those who know about God but resist and go the other way. And so what do we learn here from, the, from what is said from the mouth of this evil spirit? What do we learn? Well, we learn that, he, that the spirit does not say, I know what you've been teaching. I know your ideas. That's not what he says. I know who you are. I, that's, that's the important thing. That's the biggie. I know who you are. Maybe sometimes you wish we would do this. Um, I think there are churches out there that do this. They, you know, the, the, what if we at City Life were to give you every week, you know, the 10 steps towards guaranteed godliness? Um, and then the week after that, we'd give you the three keys to fixing your marriage. And then the week after that, it'd be five lessons for godly dating. Um, and then the week after that, it'd be the four objectives of Christian parents. What would that be like to get that, to get that new list, the how-to list every week, right? Um, the tips, these tips, they would accumulate, and you would actually probably get, hopefully, you'd get some good stuff out of it. You'd probably get some great life lessons out of them, but quite frankly, you know, you'd tear off that or you'd get that little bookmark in your worship guide that would have the ones for this week, and you'd take that home, and it might be on your refrigerator for a second or on your island or on your counter for a minute. But then it would join a pile in a file, and it might weigh down the hinges of a filing cabinet, but it would never bear down upon the struggles and the joys of your life that are new every morning. Right? I know who you are. 
when the evil spirits say that, it kind of opens things up to the, what, what, is, what is important here? What is this exchange that we come into on a Sunday morning even as a Christian church? What are we trying to do? But we are trying to meet and know who he is. It might, might lead to all kinds of changes in your life. might lead to once in a while having a list of a couple of things to do. That's fine. But any of those lists, any of those things would have their main goal and their right goal in saying, we need to know who this one is. The Holy One of God. We need to know. Um, I had a um, professor in seminary that I... That, I found it to be a little unsettling. At one point, this professor said, well, you know, all your notes are going to be just like my seminary notes. They're in a bin in my basement somewhere being untouched. And I, don't, I think he was going a little off script saying that and not maybe they tell professors not to say that because, I mean, what were we doing but hour by hour obsessing over all the notes and all the binders and all the things. And for someone just to say it so crass like that, well, it's all just going to end up in a bin in your basement just kind of took the, what, what, oh my gosh, I've got a 3.7, what are you talking about, you know, and, but, but there is a sense if you don't have that moment, right, in grappling with what faith is for you, what your walk with Jesus is, where you say, yeah, am I, am I just accumulating a binder or a stuff that just goes in a bin somewhere, is that, is that what I'm making this? A new little piece of advice every week? Or are you grappling with who is Jesus? Who is he? And what is the real difference? The real difference is, it, just, it comes down to this. Is this going to be another year ahead of you where the only authority over your finances is yourself? Another year or another month where the only authority over how you navigate this particular fork in the road is yourself? or how you go about your marriage, the only authority over that is yourself, or how you go about new relationships and dating, the only authority over that is yourself. That's really what's at stake. Grappling with Jesus, Jesus is the Holy One of God. And what do the evil spirits know about that? Well, we learn when the the crowd kind of vocalizes this at the end. He, He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. Evil spirits know, uh uh-oh, here you come. You're going to give orders, and I have no choice but to obey. They know that better than we do. (laughs) They 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 see it how it is. They know who he is. That's what comes out of someone who is the Holy One of God. He says things, we respond in kind. (laughs) He gives orders, and we obey. Talk about a culturally insensitive message for today, right? A message on obedience. Submitting your will to the will of someone else outside of yourself. But that's what it comes down to. That's the difference of whether he's just a advice giver, a binder, a set of things that you can com- kind of put in a place and leave it there and control, or whether it's someone who gives orders and you obey. So w- I-, I love moving from that point to the final one, which is the last phrase, have you come to destroy us? Because quite frankly, that is the thing we want to say when someone says, that's what God is in your life. God is someone to give you, authority, uh, give you orders and you obey. And our response is, that's going to ruin me. What are you talking about? That's going to destroy me. I'm not in charge. It's a, it's a statement from the, the evil one, the evil spirit here that reveals authority. 
And it's well beyond any binders or parchment or teachings or checklists or how-tos or TED Talks because now we're in the realm of the power they know as they verbalize, have you come to destroy us? They know this is about the power to defeat evil and to bring about joy and newness. The evil spirits got this resentment and fear and terror at the thought of Jesus influencing, giving orders. This is going to destroy us. And that, I mean, that's, that's, that, is the, that is where we find ourselves in our culture. We're in a culture where writers are writing about the transition that has taken place. Cultural observers will tell you, we are, we are walking away every minute from the idea of any legitimate authority in our lives. I read an article this week in the New York Times writing about um, how this is reflective in pop culture, in films, and in movies and TV. This thing's, and, and basically the title of, I, uh, I forget the title, but it's basically referen- it's something like, you know, we're moving towards a culture without adulthood. Interesting to consider. If we move away from authority over me, are we all kind of, does that lead to us all kind of being like children in how we navigate life? Interesting food for thought about our culture. Our culture says, are you crazy? Give orders, I have to obey, that's going to ruin me. The seasoned Christian who's been walking with Jesus, the Holy One of God, they know better. In fact, they might even find in a Christian a warm fondness for Christ's authority where they've taken on language that seems foreign to the rest of us like they might just, without even thinking, refer to Jesus or to God as my Lord. And it might have a a warm, sentimental feeling to it, to hear them say that. Because a Christian goes through a baptism, and what we don't forget about baptism, baptism has, I, I think of it as, biblically, two strong impulses for how it's explained. One of them is washing of sin, but the other one is dying and rising. That as you're baptized, water kills when you go under it, right? It drowns you. And then you come up out. The Christian who's been on this journey a while knows and rehearses their baptism and says, yeah, this is about a dying and a rising. There is a new life that is now threatening to invade my life every morning when I wake up. Maybe you, you know, you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, perhaps, C.S. Lewis. And at one point, the, you know, in Narnia, with the, the presence of evil, it's, I think how they say it is, it's always winter but never Christmas. But then eventually, um, there's this picture of Aslan, the good king, the lion, coming through. And when, wherever he goes, it kind of reverse, it's reversing winter, one little patch at a time. This is, how, this is how it's written. Every moment, the patches of green grew bigger. This is after, kind of, kind of after all the drama has played out in the book. Every moment, the patches of green grew bigger and the patches of snow grew smaller. Every moment, more and more of the trees shook off their robes of snow. Soon, everywhere you looked, instead of white shapes, you saw the dark green of firs and the black prickly branches of bare oaks and beeches and elms. Then the mist turned from white to gold and presently cleared away altogether. Shafts of delicious sunlight struck down into the forest floor. And overhead, 
You could see a blue sky between the treetops. That's exactly what's happening with Jesus as he encounters evil in the story. And it's, but it's just a glimpse of where this is all going, where he is all going with his authority. Everywhere he goes, horrible news comes for those pockets of festering evil and unchecked selfishness in our world and in your life. I mean, starting with you, but it moves out. And I don't think we quite often grasp how important this is, how central this is, that with teachings, with mere teachings and mere ideas, and you say, well, I just like the teachings of Jesus. I don't know about who he is and all that stuff, but he's got some good teachings. With teachings, we've got Band-Aids and ibuprofen for our world. But the problem is evil has gone viral. And, um, and we, it's nice to be able to say, well, it's in these horrible places like this demon-possessed man in the story, but evil has gone viral and we've jumped on the bus and gone for joyrides with it all throughout God's good creation. The seasoned follower of Jesus would say to you, if you come with the cultural response of, this sounds terrible, a new authority, he's going to ruin me. The seasoned follower of Jesus says, don't be silly. He's come to rescue you. He's come to bring you out. He's, he's come to scoop you up, to make you brand new, to make you acceptable. And you say, what, what are you talking about? How does that even make sense? Well, there's a clue even in this story already of how this, how this plays out. When Jesus drives out the demon or the evil spirit, he says, be quiet, said Jesus sternly, come out of him. It's very simple. And then the verbiage is the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The words there, the key words that I want to key in on are phone megale in the Greek, which if you reverse it, you have a familiar term that makes loud noise today, megaphone. Loud sound. With a loud sound, the evil spirit is sent out. And the Gospel of Mark is a short gospel, and he's got economy of words. And so we're already being told a lot of rich things in this story. And one of them is, by that phone megale term, we're brought right to when Jesus is described in the exact same way when he's on the cross and he releases his spirit with a loud sound, a phone, mega, megale, a megaphone sound. It's the same. There's, there's a verbiage here that ties you right to the cross. Because what you need to know about Jesus is that the Bible tells us he was there at the beginning of creation even. And so this very good creation, this beautiful work of art, he knows that we've all gotten on board the bus with evil and gone around staining and polluting his good creation in all the myriad creative ways that we have. And he knows that about us. And instead of expelling us from the canvas of the work of art of his creation, he actually, in the end, it's not about Jesus driving out all the demons and winning that way. It's about him taking the place of evil and being driven out in our place so that we can be made new and beautiful again and right with God again and acceptable with God again. And he does it with phone megale. He does it with a megaphone in a sense. 
And that's in a sense what the gospel is. That's what we do want to shout through a megaphone to anyone who will listen is that this is what Jesus is about. It's not a new teaching, a new idea to stack up in binders in your basement. But it's him going in our place, in the place of all evil and letting it, letting it be all absorbed in him as he is driven out only to rise again in power over it. And now it marches forward. I think today is a good assessment point for what has Jesus been in your life lately? What's, is, is he at all been like just a binder of good ideas? Have you been relegating him to the attic or the basement? Um, one last little vignette, one little story. I had a college roommate that um, told me this fascinating, I've always been fascinated by this story. I never knew how I would bring it into any other context. It just was a thing that always fascinated me. I was in college studying Greek. And so I had Greek note cards around and this roommate of mine, who's normally pretty quiet and introverted, he said, he said that his dad had gone through seminary at one point, not actually be gone into like ministry, but had gone to seminary. And as he was growing up, and even to that day, now this roommate is in college, his dad had Greek note cards sitting all around his house in places where he'd sit. And he'd pull them up, and, he'd, and he's still going through these cards. And part of me, like, I hated language study, I'm sorry, but the, I, I couldn't imagine anything worse than sitting around the rest of my life. That just seemed like a terrible, awful journey that that guy was on, that he was still so messed up that he had to be reading these Greek note cards. Like, what kind of, you know, places in life is that? That just didn't appeal to me. And I don't, I want to be fair, I, I don't really know the backstory at all to that, but I thought, what an interesting picture though, right? You've probably learned some language along the way. You've probably had flashcards. And just to imagine that somehow you imagine, somehow, what if you imagined that really it was important, those, those flashcards really were the deal. They were the important thing in the rest of your life. You're going to make sure you keep studying those flashcards. Of course not. Of course not. They were leading you towards something at one particular time. And there's a point where you kind of put them away and you do put them in their box because you have the real thing. And you have the one walking with you every day. You have Jesus as this authority, and that authority bears down and promises to be fresh and new every new day of your life. It's just there. He's there. That's what it means to be drawn by grace into a real relationship with God. Let's pray. Our great God, um, we in so many ways um, have downsized you, downsized your son to become a good idea but we need you to reach into our life, into the tired edges of our own authority and pull us across the great canyon and chasm of trust. As we perhaps have identified a specific part of our life today that has been our little private area where we are in charge and we sense you pushing us to let go, to let you be in charge. Perhaps we just, uh, we just want to trust you more, the gracious authority, the one who has, always has our best interests in mind, all the way to the cross, dying for us. And perhaps that is drawing us in a new way to trust you with the issues of the day. Perhaps we're being convicted that our way of approaching you, our way of dealing with you, is very small. And there's just not much to it right now. And it promises to give so much more. However you're leading us, we pray that your Holy Spirit 
opens our eyes to the goodness and the bigness of who you are, that we may, we may be more in your grace and be more a part of the newness of this broken world that you wish us to be. We pray in Christ's name, amen.